don't know about you, but I desperately want to live a life that matters. I've been given a drive, a, a desire to make my life count. And not for my own sake, but for the sake of King Jesus. I think God puts a desire within each one of us that we want our lives to count. And honestly, that's a godly, given desire and passion. And the question is, how are you going to steward that? Because people are meaning in lots of places. They, they look at causes to get behind jobs, religions, possessions, or, or other things. And they do find at least temporary satisfaction there. But it doesn't last because we are eternal beings. And to live a life that counts, it requires a person to think about all things in light of eternity. For those that have made a decision to follow Jesus, we have billions and trillions of years ahead of us to enjoy our great and glorious God. That's hard to think about, but we really do. We're just getting started in enjoying God. We got to enjoy Him this morning, but this is just the beginning. Forever we will continue. We're here on this earth really for a very short time, even if that's 70, 80, 90, however many years in light of eternity, it is so brief. But we've got this opportunity through God to live a life that matters. And the question is, are you going to take hold of it? To be able to look back at the age of 75, whatever age you're at, and be able to say, wow, God, I'm so grateful that you created an opportunity for me to be a part of what you were doing in the world, and I lived a life of fulfillment that way. Because here's the deal. This is what I want you to understand this morning. Jesus followers must become disciple makers to live a life that matters. Now, to help us uh, continue with our series this morning, what I'm going to do is look at the book of Matthew and the bookends in the book of Matthew in, in particular. So I'm going to get to Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can join me there at Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible here with you this morning, if you don't have it on your iPhone, your tablet, your, your hard copy, uh, we did stock this room with Bibles this week. So you can find these underneath your chair or in the chair in front of you. Uh, we want everybody to have a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take one. Uh, but we're going to get into Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. So reading verses 18 and 19. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this is the initial call of the disciples of Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you become a fisher of men. It's that simple. Now, this is obviously a word picture for these fishermen. Jesus saying to them, you have a new vocation when you follow me. Instead of trying to draw fish into a net, you're going to draw people into a kingdom. Men and women into a kingdom. All who follow me. You're going to focus your life on bringing men and women into a kingdom. That will be the priority of your life. That's what you're going to do. That's what you will live to do. So this is the first call of the disciples, but if you turn to the back of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, so Jesus says, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and then what are the last words that he says to his disciples here in Matthew? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So same thing. Go fish for men. Go make disciples among men and women in all nations. Bring men and women into the kingdom, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey me. This is what we're to be about. He says it to every follower. Go out and make disciples. So we see this from the beginning. He says we're going to make you fishers of men. And then at the very end, he says go and do it. Go do it among the nations. So two things I want to focus on. The first is to live a life that matters for Jesus. You must become a disciple maker. You know, there are two scriptures as uh, I've been praying over the church one this fall that the Lord really put on my heart uh, this spring. The first one, it's found in the book of Revelation, and it has been particularly meaningful for me for the church. It's a Revelation 3.8. What happens here is Jesus is talking to the churches, talking to the churches in modern-day Turkey, and this is what he says to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3.8. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. So all the churches in, in Revelation, they're located in modern-day Turkey. Our family, a couple of years ago, we had opportunity. We had some meetings in Turkey, so then we went and ran around the sites of these seven churches. It was really a neat trip for us. Um, the kids had a good time climbing all the ruins. Um, so we went, and what we see when we, when we went to the church in Philadelphia, when you, when you understand the landscape, what you see here is this church was located around the, on the Hermes River Valley, Arrested along one of the great travel routes of the world. Basically, Philadelphia rested on a travel route that would go from Europe to the east. In fact, it was given the title Philadelphia as the gateway to the east. It was an entry from one continent to another, an important city. So when Jesus says, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut, this is what he's saying. You as a church, Philadelphia, have the geographical ability to widely spread the message of Jesus everywhere. I hope you know that Connection Point Church, it sits in a position to widely spread the message of Jesus everywhere. We live in a community of nations. I walk into my kids' lunchroom at Klondike Elementary School and see flags from all kinds of nations all the way around that room. I do a demographic study and I see that there's over 54 nations represented in this town. It's a lot of nations. Connection Point Church has an open door given by Jesus that no one can shut. So here's the question. Will we take advantage of this by making disciples of all nations? That's the first scripture. The second, I'm going to link two together. I'm going to be in Acts 17, verses 1 through 7. It says, they came to Thessalonica, talking about Paul here, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, Christ just means Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of them leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking up some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, 
seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Okay, so here's what I want to link that to. Uh, go over to 1 Thessalonians. Because now what happens is Paul has left and he sends Timothy, a brother in the faith that he is mentoring, he sends them to this church. Timothy comes back to Paul and gives such an encouraging word to Paul that Paul then writes a letter to this church in Thessalonica. We find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm just going to read 2 through 10. Here's what Paul says. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you, you are you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Isn't that amazing that God chooses us? Um, the God who created the heavens and the earth, he chooses churches to be his vehicle for his redemption in the world. So God has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. <clears throat> and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. To translate that in our context, what, that was, what that's saying is equivalent to saying Connection Point Church becomes an example to believers beyond the borders of the state of Indiana, okay? But not only that, this is the best part, verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, how many here know that they, we have idols in America? We don't necessarily have totem poles or whatever else. Maybe there are. Um, but how many know we have idols in America? We could list some. I'm not going to get into that this morning. Lots more to talk about. I'll come back to it, though. Verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So here's the thing. Thessalonica was in Macedonia. This church and the church in Philippi, these were the Macedonian churches. And here's what God did through the churches of Macedonia. The story of Jesus was introduced to Europe by way of Macedonia when Paul responded to a vision while on his second journey. This is in Acts uh, 16.9. Some of the Macedonians worked directly with Paul in carrying out the gospel commission. Macedonian believers played an important part in the collection that Paul gathered for the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul commended them for their liberality. Connection Point Church is meant to be a church full of disciple makers who turn the world upside down with a faith that becomes an example to people everywhere. I'm convinced of it. Church has an incredible future, but only if we commit ourselves to being disciple makers. Because here's what I know. At some point in our American church history, we shifted our focus from being the church to simply doing church. We no longer really engaged in seeing lives transformed. Sometimes that happens. But we got to a place of simply planning fun activities to do together. And what that translated into is so that we could shield ourselves from the world. To insulate ourselves from the evil that surrounds us. But this is not our mandate. I don't just want to fill our church calendar with fun things to do. Last night's event, that was an awesome thing to do. And honestly, it was neat to see how God uses those events to change lives. But 
we have to be careful that we don't just do church. We are supposed to be the church. We're not supposed to hide out as a community on our own exclusive country club, creating our own perfect world, waiting for things to get better. I've got news for you. Without the church, things don't get better. We're to be out in the world as conduits of life to people who are searching for God. It's our mandate. We're not an audience of spectators. We don't come here on Sunday to be entertained. We're a fellowship of disciple makers. That's who we are. You should never come into the room thinking, well, I sure hope they've got a, a good service plan for me today. Guess what? Hello, I'm here. Okay. I'm kind of cutting in and out today, so I may have to shout. We're not American Idol, right? We're not. We're not here to judge the worship team or the message as, as though we're people on stage to be voted on. You don't come in saying, well, I give the music an eight today. Message is seven. They were both 10, but then they sang a song I didn't know, so I docked them there. And uh, that message, pastor started saying things made me uncomfortable, uh, like he's doing right now. Um, so we, we dropped him down. That's not what we're here for. And I say this because, honestly, we live in a consumeristic culture that says that's what we should do, that we, we rate everything. And it creeps into lots of churches. I was attending a minister's conference some years ago and listening to a pastor who talked about how he had a comment box in his church. And so uh, he shared some of the comments. And here was the crowd favorite. Two comments. He had two cards. He lifted them up. First one said, Pastor, absolutely love the new rendition of Amazing Grace. Really ministered to my heart today. And so then Pastor thought, well, that's great. And he flipped to the very next card. Pastor, couldn't stand the new rendition of Amazing Grace. Absolutely ruined my worship time today. We come in and we evaluate things, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to see lives changed. We're not spectators to be entertained. We're disciple makers on a mission to change the world, to turn it upside down. We can't lose that. We're here on Sunday mornings to learn how to do that. We're here to learn how to make our lives count for Jesus in this world. So what is a disciple maker? Very simply, disciple makers teach others how to live for and to live like Jesus. They model Jesus for others. Here's what living for Jesus means. It means that considering everything else as loss when compared with knowing him. Pastor, three weeks now, you've said that. I'm hoping to get that one home to you guys. We have to count everything else as loss, that Jesus is our treasure. Our possessions are not our treasure. Our family heritage is not our treasure. Our social status not our treasure. Our religious activity, it's not our treasure. Our Bible knowledge is not our treasure. Our treasure is who? Jesus. Man, if you grasp that, when you really start to live that, your life is changed. Living like Jesus looks a lot like the fruit of the Spirit being on display in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We have a responsibility to be conduits of life. We're a relay station of God's love, joy, and peace. One around us. We're not meant to be consumers. We're definitely not the source of these good things. They all come from God. We're a relay station. And if you and I bear this kind of fruit, if you live like Jesus, serve as a conduit of life, you are immensely attractive to others. I met with uh, one of our members for lunch this week. 
and I love to hear life stories. How did, how did God lead you to Connection Point Church? Um, he shared the story of how working with a guy at Purdue, this man was afflicted with a degenerative disease and yet always came to work with a smile on his face and joy in his heart. And he said, I want what he has. So my question is, do people look at your life and they say, I want what she has. I want what he has. And it drives them to a place of understanding it comes from Jesus. Living like Jesus involves loving God and loving your neighbor. So the question is, who is your neighbor? I want to give you a a description of what my neighbors look like. Hopefully you can read this. So on the bottom, because guess what? When we follow Jesus, if we live like Jesus, are we on the top? Nope, we're on the bottom. So I'm on the bottom of that triangle and everything goes up from there. The next up, my neighbors are my family, my wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters, and keep going. I've got friends and colleagues, neighbors in my neighborhood, those of whom I live near. Keep going. We've got the community, the Walmart clerks, the the state of Indiana. These are our near neighbors, and it goes all the way out to our global village, our country, and the nations. So guess what? Our neighbor is everyone. Everyone falls in that category. No one is left out of that description. Your neighbor isn't who's living next to you. Your neighbor could be the person sitting next to you. It falls into all kinds of categories into who your neighbor is. Your neighbor's the Shiite Muslim in Syria, the Hindu in India, the Chinese communist on the other side of the world. They live in your global village. So how do you make disciples of your neighbors? That's the question. You begin by making a list of people in your life who need to know Jesus. It starts there. If we're not intentional, we miss out on the opportunity to be good neighbors. You then begin to pray for them, asking the Holy Spirit to open their hearts to accept Jesus. And then you begin to pray for opportunities to be the vocal point of sharing that story with them. When I was here in November, I talked about three questions, three knots. Does anybody remember that? Vaguely, vaguely, you may not remember. All right, so that piece of paper that was on your chair this morning, I want you to grab that. One side is blank, one side has numbers one through five. So I actually want you to use the blank side. I want you to write these three questions down because what I have found is one of the most powerful ways to share Jesus is starting by listening. If you listen to what others are saying, the Lord provides opportunity for you to share who he is. And it's very simple. So I want you to listen for three statements, okay? And this is what I want you to write down. Are we writing on the one through five side? No. Writing which side? All right, we'll use the other side later. Just making sure we're all together. All right, so on the blank side, question number one, when you hear someone say, things are not going well. Things are not going well. It's a great time to say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And then you just simply begin to share how Jesus has helped you when things were not going well in your life. One in this room has had times in your life where things were not going well. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. So it's there. The question is, how do you respond to it? Jesus should help. So things are not going well. You hear someone say that, you tell them. You just begin to share the story of Jesus. You can also invite them to Connection Point Church. That's fine. But I want us to move beyond simply inviting people to church. I want you comfortable sharing what Jesus has done in your life. Next question. This is something I was not prepared for. Buzz much? Yeah. 
gave you writing time. Things are not going well. This is something I was not prepared for. And the last one is, we're not from here. I will say for the question of we're not from here, that's a great one for, for which you can invite someone to church. We've, we've done that many times. Uh, even with us being new, it's been really neat as we open bank accounts and just try to settle in life here. Everybody asks, well, what brought you here? So, so great to say, Connection Point Church, let me tell you about it. Um, so they give me the lead in, so it's, it's easy for me right now. Eventually that will fade. Um, so listen for the knots. Things are not going well. This is something I was not prepared for, and we're not from here. If you find people in those kinds of moments, it's amazing their openness to what God wants to do in their life. God prepares them. And it's something that I don't want you to forget. Jesus is with you when you're making disciples. Because I think sometimes we get nervous about that. Because sharing the story of Jesus, it, it can be intimidating. I recognize that. And honestly, that's why a lot of people don't do it. They get intimidated, but the word says, I am with you. And he makes that statement in the context of, I'm with you while making disciples. But this is also going back to the sermon and the message we talked about last week, why it's so important to seek the baptism in the Spirit. We talked about we seek that because we want greater zeal and prayer, greater understanding of the Word, and for boldness to share the story of Jesus. So I encourage you, if you were here last week, you weren't uh, filled with the Spirit by evidence of, of speaking in tongues, continue to seek that out. And the process we said is simply pursue Jesus, and when the Spirit comes on you, take that leap of faith and begin to utter the words the Holy Spirit gives. So I encourage you, keep seeking after the Spirit, and we'll provide future opportunities for that as well. Here's what I want you to understand. This has been such an important part of Scripture for me. It's vital for you to understand that if you want to be with Jesus, you must go where he is going. Jesus said, I'm with you always. And I said, he makes this statement in the context of making disciples. I know where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to the world. Jesus is going to the lonely, the broken, the desperate. Jesus is going to humanity. So here's something to consider. If we're not going to them, we may not be going with Jesus. Are you going where Jesus is going? You've got to ask yourself that question. If you want your life to count, if we want Connection Point Church to matter, we must become a community of disciple makers. To live a life that matters for Jesus, you must make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is not a call for a few of us, but a command for all of us. No one Christian has been called to make disciples of all the nations. Every Christian is commanded to make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is not an option to consider, to weigh among other options. The Great Commission is a command for us to obey. You are a disciple maker. Some would argue it's leaders like Peter and Paul who serve as disciple makers. And they are, but the message of Jesus going out into all the earth happened because everyone in the early church understood they were all responsible to make disciples of others. All of them, not just some of them. That's how the church multiplied. And I'll show you. Go with me to Acts uh, 4.13. Acts 4.13. What I want to show you is, in the book of Acts, it's, it's not about superheroes taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's not super Christians, of which we are not in their league. Peter and John have been preaching, when we look at Acts 4.13, and here's where we pick up. Here's what it says. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, common men. New Living Translation says, ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. The message says, laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. Well, guess what? I know a lot of people in this room have grown up in the church. You have far more Bible knowledge than Peter and Paul. And even if you didn't grow up in the church, you still are at least common, ordinary people, right? So we're at least in the category of Peter and Paul. Now, I know you could argue, but they were still apostles. Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. Pastor, I feel like I'm being set up. Yes, yes you are. Acts chapter 8. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then verse 4 says, Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So, let me ask, were the apostles the ones advancing the message of Jesus into Judea and Samaria? No, what's it say? Where were they staying? In Jerusalem. Who went to Judea and Samaria? All the people, the non-apostles. The people going to Judea and Samaria with the gospel were everyone but the apostles. Just normal people, not apostles, followers of Jesus, all of them preaching the word, And let's look what they did. Turn to Acts uh, chapter 11. Acts 11, verse 19. So they went to Judea, Samaria. The apostle's not there. Just people from the congregation, followers of him. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The message of Jesus is advancing here. People coming to faith not because of the apostles, but because the people are scattering and they're preaching, all of them preaching. This is the founding of the church at Antioch. And you may not know much about the church at Antioch, but it was an incredible church. Who founded the church at Antioch? Peter? Nope. Paul? Nope. James, brother of Jesus? Nope. Just people. Just followers of Jesus. Lay people all preaching the word, sharing the gospel wherever they went. The church at Antioch, if you don't know, it becomes the mission base for ministry to the nations. This is a church that sent Paul out. And it was founded by a bunch of unnamed Christians just average, ordinary Jesus followers. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we just get caught up in who these people are and they must have been something really great. Uh, And they were only something great because who made them that way? Yep. And guess what Jesus can do for you? Make you great for his name. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Acts 19.10. Paul had been ministering in Ephesus. And here's what this verse says. He Paul is teaching people in the hall of Tyrannus, and it says this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles. That's incredible. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Did Paul tell all those residents? Nope. He was staying in Ephesus teaching people. And what did these people do? 
they went out into all of Asia. The reason everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord was not because of Paul, but because of the people. My role, so you understand it, is to equip you to serve as a disciple maker, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our world. Now, will I share the story of Jesus with others? Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. But that will not cause all the residents of this area to know who Jesus is or around the world. This only happens if we all go out sharing the story of Jesus. Now, I do know that some people think that in order to share the story of Jesus, they need some intensive training to know how to do it. But I'm here to tell you that is simply not true. I'm going to prove it to you. You don't have to go through intensive training to share Jesus with others. So let me ask, how many grandparents do we have here today? Grandparents, he who raises their hand the highest loves their grandkids the most. Oh, we got some people screaming. All right. Now, let me ask you, how many of you grandparents talk about your grandchildren? Anybody out there talk about your grandchildren? Of course you do. Okay. Now keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. You talk about your grandkids. How many of you went to intensive training on how to talk about your grandkids? Any hands? Seminar at least? No. And why? We don't need intensive training to talk about grandkids because what is in your heart is what flows out of your mouth. You want to share the story of Jesus? Learn to love him more. It will flow right out of you in the conversations you have in the midst of your day. To live like it matters, you must adore Jesus. Be empowered to live the word and be sent to share his story. My prayer is for Jesus to be so near and dear in our hearts, so central to our lives, so prevalent in our minds that we can't help but having a conversation without Jesus flowing out of us. Sharing the story of Jesus is not a program. It's a conversation on a daily basis as he overflows from our hearts. Now, making a, disciples of the nations, it involves walking across the street. I already shared that we live in a community of nations. I looked at our population base some months ago, and here's the chart. I discovered that 67% of our near neighbor community does not darken the doors of a church on a Sunday morning. And my heart is grieved. When I took this role to become a lead pastor, I took on the responsibility of caring for every soul that's within reach of this church and also outside of its walls. Uh, I was driving through our, our neighborhood coming to, to church this week. Um, and man, I just began to plead with God for the souls of the people in Wake Robin. That's my neighborhood. God, my research tells me when you think about Every six to seven houses I drive past, out of ten, those people don't know you. My prayer was, God, make yourself known. Help Shelly and I to reach them. Help the neighbors. that We know we've got some Connection Point Church neighbors there. If people know Jesus, may they share them with your neighbors. When's the last time you've thought about your neighbors? Disciple makers feel the weight of eternity when they look around their neighborhoods. John chapter 4 it records an account of Jesus visiting with a Samaritan woman at a well. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story. The disciples had gone into town looking for bread for food, while Jesus went to a well to change a woman's life. 
The woman is amazed at what Jesus has to say. She goes back into town to tell everyone what Jesus had to tell her. Here's what I want us to drive home here. The disciples return from town with bread, while the woman returns from town with people. We live in this area, and I wonder if we come to get food to cover our needs, or have we come for the people to see lives change for eternity? Are we going to our workplace only seeing what we need, or I wonder if we can see what Jesus sees? People in need of a Savior. Now, making disciples of nations, it also involves sending people overseas. Shelly and I have lived our lives with the understanding that we are to say yes to Jesus and let him put it on the map. Living this way has moved us from Lakeland, Florida, to Oak Forest, Illinois, outside of Chicago, to Khartoum, Sudan, to Ozark, Missouri, to Jerusalem, Israel, and now to West Lafayette, Indiana. And we're so glad we're here. When we knew that God was leading us to come here, some of the first people we talked to were people in our church planning team in Jerusalem. And uh, two of those people were Shane and Manny Phelps, who are here with us this morning. In fact, I might invite you guys even just to come up while I'm talking, if that's okay. So Shane and Mandy represent what it means to send people to the nations. They uh, had spent some time in North Africa and Tunisia, working amongst nations there. And then they also came to Jerusalem, and actually Shane and Mandy were there before we arrived. And so they helped welcome us to Jerusalem, and they're going to be headed back to Jerusalem and working with the church there, also going to spend some time in Morocco, working with an international church so that they can take those principles and bring them to Jerusalem as well. So I've asked them to share just what it is to be sent to the nations. And Mandy, I'll get you a mic. Morning, Connection Point. Um, before we came, uh, Pastor Shelley had told us that, uh, she said, the people at the church are really nice. You know, almost like she was shocked. I don't know. <laughs> and then we come, and you're really nice. Uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't believe she was leading us astray, but just from last night to this morning, it's, uh, and, that's, and that's important. Believe me, as someone who's in a different church almost every weekend, we've seen the full gamut. We've experienced the full gamut. Okay, and so thank you. Thank you for being nice to our friends. Um, we've lived life with them for three years on the field. I was so much looking forward to living life with them for five or 10 or 15 or 20 more years on the field. Uh, I got over my bitterness to Connection Point Church um, <laughs> about three weeks ago. Uh, it was hard. I'm serious. It was hard. It was, it's one of the hardest things I've ever prayed for, and I was praying for them. For God to be real. But thank you. But thank you for being nice to them. Um, and I'm reconfirming something you already know. You've got some great people as a pastor. And I'm not saying that, so I mean... Pastor Zach loves missionaries and missions, so I don't say anything to get him on my good side. I'm just being truthful here. And if this is not your home church, maybe this is your first time, let me, from someone who has lived the good, bad, and the ugly with them for three years, what you see is what you get. The genuine. It's nothing, it's nothing put on. What Pastor Zach preaches, that's what he lives daily. And even more. There's so much that you don't know. And hopefully you'll get to learn more about him as they're here. Thank you for the privilege. We get the privilege of sharing uh, this morning for just a brief moment our, our testimony of our call uh, to missions and to share with you just a, a little nugget of some good things that are happening around the world because regardless of what uh, CNN or, or Fox News or MSNBC wants to tell you, good things are happening. Okay? Pastor Zach has already alluded to good things are happening here. Okay? 
good things are happening. Well, some missionaries can tell you the exact time and place that they were when God placed the call to missions in their heart. And some of them have very dramatic testimonies of that moment. You know, they get dreams from God where he shows up and points, you know, to a country on a map. Or he gives them some kind of vision of a people group, writes a nation on the wall. I don't know. But they have these amazing stories about how God called them into missions. And I think that our growing awareness of God's call on our life was a little less spectacular than that. But it wasn't any less real. It began in college, and God began to just open our eyes to the vast lostness of this world. And he gave us an urgency to do something about it. We just had a burden to help. And when we became willing to be used of God, he began to open up doors of opportunity. And then he gave us the peace to walk right through them. And doing that led us to North Africa working with Arab Muslims. We worked in Tunisia for about a year, and during that time we became very close with one particular family. When our time in that country was over and it was time for us to leave, we went and we spent one last night with that family to tell them goodbye. And on that night, I was in the kitchen with the mother of that family, and she began to just weep. She bent over and she had to hold on to the counter. She was crying so hard. And through the interpretation of her daughter, I found out that she did not want us to leave her house. Because when we came to her house, she felt something good. And in that moment, I will never forget it. I held her and I just cried with her. I cried because she had never before felt the presence of God. And I cried because I didn't have the language skills to give her a full presentation of the gospel. And I cried because I realized that there are millions more just like her. You know, since that time, uh, we've moved on. And, you know, we've spent several years in Jerusalem working with Palestinians. And today, Palestinian population is about six and a half million, less than 2% are evangelical believers. About four years ago, we were leading a Bible study for other workers like ourselves, mainly all Americans. And uh, one day, we just kind of looked up, and the makeup of our group had begun to change. We looked up, and we saw that there were now um, other international workers there joined with us. And we saw that there were locals who were of Armenian or Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox tradition we looked up, and we had a Jewish spiritualist in our midst. And we looked up, and we had Muslim background believers who had been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. And we looked up, and we had Muslims who were there simply because they were seeking, seeking the truth. And right then, we realized that God was up to something. He was planting an international church in our neighborhood. And so as God began to unfold this vision for a conflict-torn land, we got excited. See, a, a church free from prejudice and racial discrimination is necessary for the message of reconciliation is only found in Christ Jesus. It must be. It must, the church must be free from prejudice 
and racial, concilia- uh, racial discrimination. For the reconciliation of Jesus Christ to do its work. And so three years ago, New Life Community was born and planted. And to some of you, because we've been asked this question, and we ask this question ourselves, some of you may seem odd that a, that a Muslim would come to a church service, that a Jewish person would come to a church service. And guess what? We thought the same thing. And so when they returned, like, I would ask, you know, in a, in a polite manner, but basically, why are you coming back? You know who we are, all right? You know what we believe in. And all of their answers, all of their answers always focused around one reason, one reason only. When you sing those songs to Jesus and about Jesus, when you pray, when you teach about Jesus, I feel good inside. That's the power of God's presence in our life. When people experience that, they want to know more and they keep coming back for more. And that's when transformation can begin. We are so thrilled to be able to tell you today that some of those Christian Arabs, some of our friends, have found freedom from religious tradition in a real relationship with Christ. And some of those Muslim neighbors of ours that have come who were seeking truth have now found the truth of Jesus and it has set them free. And even our little Jewish spiritualist who just, you know, said everything's fine, I'm okay, you're okay. She's given up that philosophy and moralism because she has found lasting peace in relationship with Jesus. Currently, one of the greatest revivals happening in the world is happening in the Muslim world. One part of that revival is taking place just miles from where we live in Jerusalem in the West Bank, a Palestinian national church comprised entirely of former Muslims is rising up right now. And New Life Community is placed in such a position that we are able to resource and equip that national church as God leads them into greater things. You know, when we think about, when Mandy and I think about what it means to be sent by God um, today, at this moment, we cannot help but think about a missionary over 30 years ago who was sent to Palestine, to the Palestinians. And this missionary, he met a man named Rizik. Rizik was a good Muslim. Rizik was a devout Muslim. Rizik had been trained to be a sheikh, you know, a highly uh, thought of religious scholar in the Islamic community. And over the course of this relationship, the Holy Spirit just ordained this. He set it in motion and he blessed it. And Rizik became a follower of Jesus Christ. Rizik had in his influence about 37 mosques. And Rizik, one of the the tools that had really led Rizik to the Lord was was the Word of God, was the Bible. And so Rizik was like, you know, I want to do something. I need to do something. I must do something. So what he decided to do is he decided to start smuggling Bibles into a local mosque. Um, He took the stamp of the mosque, and he would stamp the inside of the Bible to make it official, and he placed it on the shelves in the library of each mosque, praying and hoping, believing that when individuals walked in, walked into that library, searching truth, seeking after truth, they would find that Bible and they would be led to the truth. However, it wasn't too long until Rizik was found out, and the persecution began. And men from the local mosque and from the area came to Rizik's home, and they put him under house arrest. They told him, if you leave, we will kill you. And then these men begin to visit Rizik. And the visits were never nice. They threatened him. They took away his livelihood. 
They threatened his security. They threatened the security of his family. They beat on him. They tried to force him to denounce Christ. And not one, time, not one time did he ever waver. They would drag him down to the mosque. And they would try to do the same thing. They knocked out his tooth and they scarred and broke his body. And not one time did he ever waver. Amidst the, amidst the threats against his life, amidst against the threats of his family. And this went on for months. Went on for months. In fact, it increased so greatly that one day I told Mandy, I said, we're going to receive a call any moment that Rizik is dead. Because of Rizik's faithfulness, his wife became a follower of Jesus Christ. Because of Rizik's faithfulness, his two sons became a follower of Jesus Christ, and they are both now helping him in kingdom work. Because of Rizik's faithfulness, the same men who brought great persecution against him are now followers of Jesus Christ. Because of Rizik's faithfulness, we can now directly connect over a thousand former Muslims who are now followers of Christ. Just a year ago, almost today, January 2015, we knew of somewhere between four, around 45 house churches in the West Bank. The West Bank is made up of about 2.5 million people, 99% Muslim. 45 house churches. Today, today, over 450 house churches in the West Bank. Amen. Amen. I have not seen growth like that in a long time. Because someone was sent, because someone was sent, and was obedient to the calling to go to the Middle East, a Muslim was saved, and revival has begun. All of us who are sent to the nations, we go in partnership with senders. And right now we need some senders who will respond in obedience to God and help us get back. We need people who will come along beside us and really pray for us. I mean, really pray for us. And we need people who will hear from God to come on board as monthly partners and help support the ministry financially. If you feel that God is asking you to do that, when you leave today, would you stop by and see us? We're out there at the table. You can find us there where you can sign up for updates from us and keep connected with the good things that God's doing there. And you can pick up a prayer card or a prayer band and put it somewhere where you'll see this and you'll remember to pray because that's what we need, guys. Church, Shane and I, we've been called to the Arab world to share Jesus with Arab Muslims, and he's calling you too. Who is he calling you to? Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Mandy. Being disciple makers means crossing the street, and it means sending people to our global village. And here's what I know. The potential in this room for the story of Jesus to spread is absolutely incredible. And I'm going to show you. How many here live in West Lafayette? I live in West Lafayette. Okay. How many in Lafayette? Lots of people in Lafayette. Okay. Now, how many in Tippecanoe County? I know there's some crossover, but, you know, there's some people that don't live within city limits. All right. Now, how many in middle school? Any middle schoolers here today? Are they not in this room? High schoolers? They don't want to raise their hand. It's okay. How about you, uh, college students, university students, grad students? Got a bunch. Okay. Now, how many work at home? How many outside the home? Bunch? Yep. All right. Now, how many will be traveling outside of Lafayette area this week? Anybody traveling outside of Lafayette area this week? Got some of those. Okay. Anybody traveling outside the United States this year? This year. So within the year. 
We have a lot of those. If you look at the potential sitting in this room, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. The, the potential for the story of Jesus to go all throughout our community and even into the world. And we don't want to miss that. Have you recognized your need to live a life that matters? Do you want to become a disciple maker? Determined to be a listener this week. Listen to those three knots, those questions you wrote down. And if you want to commit to being a disciple maker this week, for hopefully the rest of your life, what I want you to do, flip that card over to those five blanks that you've got there. Because what I know is, is if you don't commit to it with a real plan, it doesn't happen. I want you to write down the names of five people that you know in your life that need to know the story of Jesus in your sphere of influence. God will take who you are to bless the nations. I was talking with a guy last night that's been going to the church here for a long time, and he talked about on two different hunting trips how he led people to the Lord. God will take whatever hobbies you have, whatever work that you do, and he will use that for his glory if you allow him. So if you are committing to being a disciple maker, write down the names of five people and just begin praying over that list. Lord, I pray that their heart would be open to hearing your story. And also begin to pray, Lord, I pray for an opportunity to share it. So remember those three knots. Start praying over those names, and I know that lives will be changed. So that's how we can do this to our near neighbors, to those who are near. But the last thing I want to give us opportunity to do is also be a part of sending people to the nations. So we're going to take a, an offering today for Shane and Mandy. Uh, if you'd like to uh, prepare yourself for that. In fact, ushers, why don't you come forward, and we're going to take that offering and I just encourage you, be a part of sending people to the nations. Have a heart that's generous, as, as Pastor Jim already talked about. It's amazing that we can still be a part of blessing the church in Jerusalem today, like that church in Thessalonica. May we do that. May we do it well. So the worship team is going to sing. I would encourage you, as the offering plate has gone by, and if you just want to stand and continue to worship, then we're going to close by singing song this morning. So worship team, let's pray.